BIB Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newsroom. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. On the surface, many aspects of our economy seem solid right now. Low unemployment, a resurgence in investment, for instance. But there are plenty of troubling signs, trade uncertainty, legislative measures in the pre-election period. We have plenty to discuss with one of our most prominent representatives of business in this country. Dennis Darby is the president and CEO of the Canadian Manufacturers Association. He's here for a visit in Vancouver. Delighted he can join us. Thanks a lot for coming in. Well, good morning and thank you. I've, I've, uh, I've rarely met a CMA president who's truly happy with the scheme of things uh, <laughs> when it comes to government. Are you, are you a happy man? Well, I, I mean, well, there's... It's a bit of both. I guess it'd be a best of both worlds. I mean, manufacturing as a as a uh, sec as the sector has been uh, going great guns from a dollar value. And the output last year was an all time high yeah. ever, um, mm-hmm. and that's so that's the good news. And that's partly because of the U.S. economy, which is basically taking everything we can we can produce. The bad news is uh, we haven't been investing, and uh, more and more people. We've been saying it for years. More and more people are saying we haven't been investing in innovation and competitiveness. Uh, and governments have kind of uh, been a little bit deaf to, to uh, th- those calls. And what happened ultimately is that uh, we're riding a bit of uh, the tail, the tail of a, of a wave, I think. Yeah, I, I think uh, Goldie Hyder, when I had him on a little uh, recently from the Business Council of Canada, seemed to suggest that we were in a little bit of a complacent state about our situation that we, 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 you know, we're not, not assuming the worst is going to come. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think, and Goldie's right. He and I have spoken about this. I think what's, there is a level of complacency uh, because the U.S. economy has been so hot and because the U.S. has tended to uh, annoy a lot of its trading partners, that (laughs) Canadian manufacturers have benefited from that. So the companies that, you know, produced uh, parts, goods, chemicals, food have done well because Canada is a is a good place from where to get you know to get your supply, and for the U.S., who's at almost zero unemployment, we're you know we are an attractive place um, uh, to 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 source part of the supply chain. People forget sometimes, uh, even writ large, Canada is mostly a producer of the bits and pieces. It's yes. not the same as it was couple of generations ago. And so we're part of global and North American supply chains. So we, we're more dependent than ever on trade. And that is the risk. And I think that's the risk that we've talked about as leaders of business. We are not in a great position. If the U.S. economy were to slow down, we're not in a great position to compete with the rest of the world right now. Yeah. And there are some signs even this week uh, that the American economy uh, is, is perhaps starting to slow. Uh, that uh, that a lot of the uh, almost white hot economic activity in the U.S. is beginning to peter out just a bit. Uh, is this is this a headwind now? We we need to start bracing for. Well, there are a couple. Well, we've been we've been facing a few headwinds in the last few years. I mean, the uncertainty around NAFTA point you know two point or Kuzma or USMCA, depending on who you're talking to. Right. Those those provided a lot of uncertainty to the business, so they weren't investing in in Canada. So companies, international companies, Canadian companies, were not putting sufficient capital in, uh, in to be more productive. Our competitiveness in terms of productivity has been falling for the last decade. Uh, and what that means is uh, that headwind of the U.S. slowing down on top of the uncertainty on trade, which I think has mostly gone away, uh, is now going to cause a, more than a, a bit of, more of a headache uh, because as things tighten up, you know, our ability to trade with now Europe, mm-hmm. uh, the Pacific Rim, and these are not these are advanced economies. With well-established um, uh, investment, with high, you know, with high technology, high standards, basically they're like us, 
And so now we have to compete with com countries that are just like us for what will be probably a bit of a shrinking um, uh, market. So I think that is where our concern is and where we, the concern we've articulated to government. We're not doing enough to really set ourselves up for success. Government has done a great job, Kirk. They put, they've signed us a bunch of trade agreements. Yeah. And those are great. That, that's kind of like they build the highway. Mm -hmm. The problem is we're not necessarily, we don't have the fastest cars to get across that highway. And I think that's that's our, our worry and our risk. And and uh, and you're right, governments have been complacent. We certainly haven't been. Um, and the other part is, and it's one I probably you don't hear every day, we can't find the people. At the end of the day, right. that is the second. So that's the other worry that manufacturers tell us as we survey them across the country. I can't find the people I need. Can, can I pick up on that right away? Because sure. when I take a look at uh, our demography and uh, and how it is that we have had uh, so many people available uh, in, say, over the last generation when someone left the workforce, as, as we go along here, we're going to have fewer and fewer people available to replace those who leave the workforce. We're going to start having, you know, large numbers of people who are retired. As manufacturers, you know, what... What is the what is the industry writ large trying to do about this? Well, a, a couple of things. So you'll see us being probably more active than just about anyone on the need for more immigration. Because at the end of the day, we need more skilled people to come into Canada to uh, to, to basically to power uh, the manufacturing sector, which you know today employs about 1.7 million people, about about 175,000 here in in BC, but that's uh, and that's one of the that's the largest single industrial sector. So when you look about the manufacturing, you say, how do I replace, begin to replace many of those people who are are uh, retiring? We need more immigration. We're not we're not repopulating. We're not having enough children. And, and partly. And the other the second part is we're not getting enough people in into into the sector. There, I mean, governments, mm -hmm. provincial, federal, and we all we all you know, my I want my kids to go to university, but. The problem is we don't have enough people going into the trades, the skilled trades, mechatronics, right. uh, and those are the those are the skills that companies are lacking. If they're going to employ the automation, if they're going to use the robots and the AI and the Internet of Things, all the all the technologies that everybody knows are going to be necessary to compete with the with the Germans and the and the French and the Japanese and and even and the Australians. Well, we had. We don't have the people to run it. In fact, that's a, and that's a clear and present danger to the manufacturing sector, to our economy, that we don't have enough people coming in. Yeah, and and yet, Dennis, these are um, these are high skilled jobs. They're no longer you know the old jobs that I think have the you know the the image. Of, no pick of, and shovel like you and I from Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Or, or you know people you know somehow you know some like like uh, you know someone who doesn't have an education. These are high skilled jobs. They're also extremely, extremely secure jobs comparatively, right? And so, so what's what's wrong with that? With the image here that, that it's not attracting people. I think a lot of the image is is that old image. You know, manufacturing jobs are you know are you know are are, are blue collar, maybe blue whatever you want to call them. They're you know they tend to be they're you know they're not service jobs. You're not necessarily sitting at a computer all day, but you will be carrying one around with you. You'll be carrying around an iPad. You'll be ma managing a, looking after robots and trying to program you know um, a maintenance schedule on you know for machinery. So these are the kind. So we need to do some more to 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 raise that image. And we have been doing that, mm. uh, talking about our, we have a manufacturing matters campaign. We've been doing a lot more PR than we've ever done to try to, and we've started a women in manufacturing initiative. Let me talk about this one just for a sec. This is about bringing more women and girls into the skilled trades. 
simple simple math. We did a survey uh, in the last two years, and what we found is that while women constitute 48% of our workforce, more or less, they constitute less than 25% of the manufacturing workforce, wow. even if you include all the admin people, the people that work in HR. Oh, yeah. So what happens is we don't have enough girls going into the trades, into engineering, and it's really important. And we need one of those messages we keep hammering governments everywhere, saying, if you look at our competitive set, if you look at uh, – Germany is the one everyone talks about. There is, you know, the the prestige and and the and the reward for going into a technical trade is yeah. just as much as going into for law or or communications. Yeah, and but, here and here we're not there yet. Yeah, and no, we're we to, we pretty well disparage it here. Yes, it's pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Partly because of history, and partly because it's uh, we've we've done a the industry's done a poor job because there were always more people to come in. And I think that, so it was a late realization by the industry. In fact, we just did a survey last year of 680 companies and that was the number one issue. So number number one and two are people and, and number two is obviously the cost of doing business, which is what drives um, investment. Yeah. I, I want to uh, move over to uh, legislation for a minute here. Sure. Um, look, I, I have a pretty good sense of Bill C-69 from an infrastructure standpoint, and I've heard so many qualms expressed uh, by industry about it and what it's doing in terms of uh, adding a great deal of uh, regulation to what was already a pretty highly regulated area. Um, from a manufacturing standpoint, where are the uh, where are the issues with 69? So it's really related to investment. So as I've said, the uh, I may have said, the foreign direct investment into the manufacturing sector writ large has been dropping for the past decade relative to the U.S. So we, there's more money going you know, per capita going to the U.S. than there is coming to Canada in terms of investment in plant and equipment. And so that uncertain, and it's partly uncertainty, but now Bill C-69, that's another example because that throws more uncertainty. And it, and I think the everyone, the people don't understand that it's not about Alberta jobs. Right. There are, there are manufacturers in this province, in Ontario and Quebec, who depend heavily upon the, the equipment, the machinery, uh, the, you know, the steel that goes into um, uh, pipelines and exploration. And so if, if the Alberta companies back off on exploration because they're worried that they're never be, going to be able to get their, their uh, product to market, it has a trickle-down effect that it's important in Ontario, it's important in Quebec, it's important in Saskatchewan, it's certainly important in BC. And that's the issue because the yeah. C- C-69 doesn't do anything in, its cur- in the form that was handed to the Senate to take away the uncertainty yeah. because it put a lot more discretion in the hands of the minister. It was a lot, a, a lot more unclear about you know who needs to be consulted and why and, and how much. So what industry put forward uh, and we supported it was here are a number of things that would would provide more assurances and and, and put more predictability. Um, as you know, business capital is you know is very is not a continuous thing. I've said this to Minister Morneau. Companies don't sit and decide every day. You know, should we invest in Canada? Should we not? It's on a project by project basis. So if the situation when they need to make their decision is government is you know equivocal about whether it wants to build energy or its or its tax policy is not is yes we're going to fix it in the future but not now. We promise to fix it. Companies don't make the decision, well, we don't know for sure. Yeah. So we move the capital elsewhere. And what we've seen is even Canadian companies, as they think about expanding, look into the States. So C69 is one of those things that, you know, we've made a number of suggestions. Other people smarter than us have made more specific suggestions. 
uh, it would be unfortunate if the, ultimately the government of the day decided, you know what, you know, we're not going to listen to what industry had to say. And I, it, it boggles my mind. If from the point of view of uh, manufacturers, we've said clearly, hey, we like Bill C-69, the idea of modernizing our regulatory approval process to put in more predictability and, and for international companies to know exactly what what the goalposts are right. and, and what timing it's going to take. And what they produced, regrettably, was something with a lot more a lot more gray. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you take a look at, say, a project like uh, Trans Mountain and the mm-hmm. twinning of the pipeline, is that, you think, the, the pivotal decision uh, on whether to proceed, is, is that the pivotal decision that is going to then uh, prompt the world to determine if Canada, in fact, can do infrastructural projects? Yeah, we don't seem to be able to, to build things recently here in Canada, infrastructure-wise. I, I mean, we've know, got the LNG Canada project, which underway, is great, which and, is a, and, which is giant, but, and, and that will be great. I but think, Trans Mountain is is more of a, a, a almost like a litmus test, isn't it? I think yes. I think the, the the rest of the world is is watching. When we go around the world, when I travel for my job, they ask us what's what's going on in Canada. What, what you know, you are the third largest producer or fourth largest producer of oil and gas in the world, and you and it's like you don't want to and and uh, it's clean oil, and I don't want to have a big argument, especially when I'm in cleaner, say, cleaner, cleaner. I mean, cleaner on a relative basis. Right. You know, do you want? You know, do you want to have? A, do you want to have? Do you want to put? If you're going to put gasoline in your car, and for the foreseeable future, we're going to need to have gasoline in the car and jet fuel in the jets. Do you want to have it oil produced? You know, you know, in in from Venezuela or Saudi Arabia, you know, where you know where those other considerations are quite you know need mm-hmm. to be need to be factored, or do you want to be from Canada? And right now the the industry, I'm getting to the point, the industry's perspective is if Canada can't get its product to market and continues to face a huge discount because of the the, the, the restrictions, it's, you know, my worry is, our worry collectively is companies just not going to invest. And, and I think that would be regrettable from the point of view of if, you know, if any country, jurisdiction has shown, you know, uh, what I would call high standards for the production of, of oil and gas and chemicals, it's Canada. We have, we have, you know, we always, we, we, you know, we beat ourselves up all the time as Canadians. We have high regulations. We have high standards are the highest in the world. You know, if you're not going to produce it here, where else should you produce it? And that's a, that's not a popular argument when I'm in Ottawa, but, uh, but it's something we ought to consider. And so I think you're right. Go back to that C69. It should be, you know, we should look at it and say, you know what, what do we want to tell the world mm-hmm. that we want to to use these resources in a responsible way, or frankly, we, we're not in that game anymore? And that will that will that will have a ripple effect through the whole industrial sector, and I think it will have a ripple effect through the service sector as well. But in the short run, it'll be it'll be the industrial sector. Well, and there'll just simply be what a, a flight of capital to other countries, where frankly there'll be you know fewer impediments to the investment into the twenty projects that need to take place. Yeah, I mean it's it's regrettable when you read stories about companies that say, well, if I if I, if I can't do it here, I'll move. And I'm from Southern Ontario. We'll move to Michigan or New York or right. Washington. Mm. And, and and I always think, how does that help the world? Mm. You know, um, so let's find a way. So I, I'm hopeful that, we, you know, we can find a way. I know that this next few days are going to be quite uh, – They are going to be very important very, around well, 69 and, and yeah. uh, around summer break for House of Commons and uh, Parliament and then the election coming. I mean, you could end up with C69 somewhat still hanging in abeyance uh, as we move into an election, couldn't you? 
Uh, I think that could happen. I, I, I don't know whether Canadians are prepared to, I don't think the parties are prepared to fight an election on this. It'd no, be, no. It'd, it'd be hard to, hard to fast. And, and partly because it's It would so be a divisive. very Canadian kind of yes. uh, campaign, wouldn't it? It because would be cam- very. Campaign over regulation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, yeah, do we want to. Let's have a debate on regulation. <laughs> let's have a debate on regulations. Yeah, whether we can. I don't let, think so. I don't think that's going to happen. No. No. Uh, but it is very, and it's very divisive across the country. And, you know, and the, the opinions, you know, the opinions vary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, that that's, and I think the part that maybe, maybe we ought to think about is, you know, what do we have a strategy? And I've heard other people smarter than us say, we need an industrial strategy. If you want to exploit properly, if you want to exploit profitably, if you want to exploit for the benefit of your people, our resources, because let's face it, Canada is a small country. We have always been export dependent. I mean, Two-thirds of everything we export are manufactured goods. 75% of what we trade with the U.S. are manufactured goods. Mm -hmm. If you want to continue to be that type of a nation that basically is an exporting nation, right? Go back to Hudson's Bay Company and we're, you know, maybe maybe then it was, you know, it was beaver pelts. But we've always been an exporter. If you want to be in that game and you want to be competitive in the 21st century, you know, Government does have a role. Business has a role to say, how do we do this in a way uh, that is accretive to the to our GDP, uh, done in an environmentally responsible way, uh, and you know, and obviously provides those good jobs. I, I don't think we've had that grown up conversation. And right now, we're as I think others have said, we're kind of just coasting. Yeah. In in the last few minutes that we've got, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how uh, well manufacturers, how the how industry, um, how even our uh, our provinces uh, have managed to somewhat circumvent the the near terror that people had at the beginning of the Trump administration that this was going to be a, a, a very vindictive, protectionist president who was going to really make it much, much more difficult for Canadian manufacturers and others to get their, their goods into that market. Um, it, give us a bit of an assessment now. We're, we're almost closing in on the end of that of that term, um, how, how do you think Canada's handled Donald Trump? I think Canada's handled uh, the president as, as well as anybody, any government could. And I'd, and I'd say Canada, not just the, the federal government, but the provincial premiers, you know, have all been very, very um, consistent, you know, reminding the Americans, reminding the states that, that we have, you know, we, that 78% of everything we trade is with you, that, that we're each other's biggest customer, uh, you know, that we share technologies, we share, um, you know, we share families. And I think, I think that effort by Canada and its leaders and by industry, we've done the same thing with our, our counterparts in the U.S. with the National Association of Manufacturers. I think that's what's kind of blunted um, Mr. Trump. Now, he's never above using whatever tool he can to try no. to put pressure on people. And he no. loves tariffs. I think the person who, who taught him or told him that he could apply tariffs without going to Congress, I think that was the, that was the I wish I I could have stopped him because <laughs> he's found that to be a great toy, sure. I call it, because he uses it as his, as his leverage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Canada's done well. We, think about it. At one point, we didn't know where NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA was We didn't was know if we were going to have a NAFTA. But what, what yeah. and really what's in that provisional agreement that hasn't, still hasn't been ratified, uh, is pretty livable. Nothing, no, no really bad changes. In fact, but wasn't it kind of curious that as a country we we assessed our success with this point, this two point NAFTA, by how little we lost? Yeah, exactly. It's a very Canadian, but Canadian of us, but also because we don't have a lot of leverage. And right. we, unlike Mexico, we don't have a cheap labor pool and and low labor and low environmental standards. What we have is you know, we have the the U.S. 
plus. We have, you know, with a similar standards to the U.S., with higher taxes and and, and harder and more difficult uh, regulations to get things built. So we mm. we didn't have a lot of leverage. I think what what ended up being successful for Canada is saying, hey, you know what, we we actually do build things together. We actually do we actually do create um, uh, the economy together. And the states were were instrumental in helping convince the the, the center. You know, this is not in our best interest. And I think that's the only way to ever speak to the U.S. So all Canada could do is it's not it's not so much, boy, you're going to hurt us because the, the administration didn't care whether they would hurt Canada or not. That's irrelevant. All we could do is say, this is not in your best interest. And here's why. Yeah. Last question before I, I, I let you go here. Um, it, we're we're pretty much into uh, election mode right now. I mean, I'm watching a basketball game last night and they're already, you know, campaign ads in my view uh that were on um it, when you uh when you take a look at what kinds of discussions you feel we need to have for our next four or five years as a country what what do they need to be in this election campaign what what are you looking for in you know in in your association for your membership uh for the workforce that it that it represents and in order to have that uh, understanding of, of our destiny here. I think it's a it's a well. First of all, uh, it's a, it's a, if I had the answer to that, I could I could tell you the outcome of the election. But at the end of the day, we have to have a a grown up conversation uh, about the future of our economy, and and not a not a conversation. You know, boy, we're gonna we're gonna get have lots of Google jobs or lots of Amazon jobs, and people are gonna working out of call centers. We have to decide: is this you know as as a nation, what has been our history, where our success has been, and have a conversation about hard choices we have to make. In order to improve, you know, the investment climate, the, uh, the our workforce to start to pivot a little bit away from. And a lot, I mean, there have been so many great social issues that this government has a, a, you know, addressed, and many issues, everything from reconciliation to yeah. you know legalization of you know, cannabis. Yeah. That's those are great. They are important. And, yeah. They're important things. But now, if at some point, we, we need to say, uh, let's. You know, what did the one of uh, U.S. president, it's the economy, stupid. At right. some point, we actually yeah. have to start saying, you know, are we really on the right path in terms of growing the economy for the next generation? And I'd say at this point, we're a bit we're a bit lost. We haven't quite got there. And I'm hoping that we can help have a conversation with the people who are running, say, what are you going to do to try to, to build the future of the economy and what are we trying to do? Where do we want to go? And yeah. I think that would be a, that would be the question we're asking. But I, I, I take it back to almost where we started in our conversation. I mean, the, the, the economic conditions don't appear to be all that bad right now. And we tend to have these debates when in fact we're in the stew. Yeah, we tend to, we tend to wait. Canada tends to wait until things are bad and then said, Oh my God, what are we going to do? And you'd think alternatively, contrarian thinking is when things are good and we should start to invest in our workforce, invest in more technology, uh, invest in trying to to change, to look at our competitive set. I think the one thing Canada could could gain is look outside, look at the other countries with whom we compete, and what are we, what are they doing that we're not doing, and we should be able to compete. This is there's no reason Canada can't continue to be an industrial powerhouse, and that's not a bad term, industrial powerhouse into the 21st century. But right now uh, we're not doing anything to help it. Yeah. It's been good having you here. I've been really enjoying the conversation. Thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you very much. Dennis Darby is the president, CEO of the Canadian Manufacturers Association. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening to BIB Today. 